Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Michelle Price here coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. We're on Breakthrough Radio. We are celebrating nine years of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies in business. Well, it's the second Monday of the month, and that's when we get to hear from Stuart Rogers, the Marketing Director of Technology for VentureBeat. You know, at the top of the show, we have a breakthrough tip that's a nice five-minute tip where you can go take action on that information right now. Our featured spot today is with Don Cooper, the sales heretic, our original guest host, who has focused on coaching us into better sales for our business. Our featured interview is a 35-minute conversation that's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. And then we'll be wrapping up Breakthrough Radio today with our startup spotlight with our co-founder, Don, uh, sorry, Dustin <laughs> Wyndham. I got too many D's happening today. <laughs> Dustin is with Grit Grocery. You know, our startup spotlight is a nice 10-minute segment that's not as long as our deep dive interview, and it's not as short as our breakthrough tip because it allows us to meet all the learning styles of our listeners. I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio, and if it's your first visit, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. That's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. You know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. That means any and everything we talk about today something we might reference as a resource, we link to it there. So whether it's how to reach Stuart, Don, Dustin, or myself, please do make sure you visit and connect with each one of us. Then follow, reach out, truly connect, ask us a question, engage us in conversation, and of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, let's pop over here and talk to Stuart Rogers today. Excited because we've only got a couple of months left in 2017, and we are going to be learning today with you how we can make the most of that in our sales before the end of the year hits. And I understand Stuart's going to contribute to that in a very productive and efficient way. So take it away, Stuart. Hey, thanks so much, Michelle. Great to be here as usual. Um, look, we, we had a, an interesting report come out recently. And it was an analysis of 50 billion retail website visits. And one of the things it showed was that social media is still lagging. In fact, social media is one of the worst ways to generate leads, generate real opportunities, generate revenue for anyone that isn't just trying to sell some kind of knowledge product. Um, if, you, if you're doing that, then, yeah, you can make social media work in a, in a very automated way. But for the rest of us who are running real businesses, it turns out social media is fantastic for thought leadership, it's fantastic for demand generation, but what it's not good at is generating real leads. The problem with leads is that they are an incredibly divisive thing. But the reason that sales and marketing teams don't get on with each other is because of the lead. 
the lead is the thing that the marketing team generates. They pass it across to the sales team. The sales team are then tasked with closing it. And the thing is, is the marketing team, you know, their attitude is, oh, those salespeople, they couldn't close a barn door. And the salespeople's attitude is, oh, those marketing people, they give us really bad quality leads. And that causes the division between the two. So wouldn't it be great if there was a way that the marketing team could contribute to generating leads at scale that are real leads, qualified leads, that they can pass across to the salespeople so the salespeople have the best possible opportunity of closing as much business as possible? And that is something that you can do now using various different technologies. Because when you have a website, of course, you're generating hopefully hundreds, if not thousands of visits to your website. So what better way than to leverage your own website in order to generate leads? And of course, then the social media play is not just to converse with people on social media, not just to share other people's content on social media, which is a great way to get noticed because if you talk about yourself all the time on social media, people get bored of that too. But occasionally you can then send people to great content that you've written and put on your website. And then when they get to your website, there are a couple of tools that uh, have been launched recently and there's many, many tools like this out there. So you can always search for you know, alternatives that already existed, but a couple of tools that can help you generate leads at scale. Um, one of them is uh, from a company called Servata. Servata launched a brand new online and offline customer service uh, survey tool. And what's really interesting about it is it's actually great for generating leads. So the idea is that when people come to your website, you can actually ask them some really important qualitative questions right there on the website. You can get them to answer all sorts of really interesting questions right there, right then. And that's great for customer service, but think about that in a lead generation context. Think about that in terms of asking a really simple question and then maybe asking a qualifying question, such as if you're a car dealership, why not ask them when they're likely to be replacing their car? And then at least you've got an idea of exactly when to contact these people and when would be a good time to contact them. Um, Savada is a great tool. Um, I've used it a lot over the years for surveys, um, for consumer surveys, because I've worked with them for a lot of my research on the consumer survey side. Um, and this new customer survey tool doesn't just work online, it also works offline with various partners. Um, and they've even got some amazing retargeting systems so that you can ask questions and you can get feedback from people who visited your website, even on other people's websites through their network of publishers. Um, the other one to look at is Intercom. Intercom for years now have been powering the chat on websites. You might have seen it. It's the, uh, uh, the little sort of speech bubble with a smile in it that appears in the bottom corner of websites. Well, they've launched a new tool called Live Chat for Sales. And again, it's, it's a chat um, that basically you know, pops up and uh, it can automatically ask people questions for them to answer. It even has a chat bot so that it can ask the first sort of menial, you know, repetitive questions for you. And then it can pop up qualifiers and ask qualifying questions to get to the bottom of whether this is a real lead or not. It can also link itself to your Salesforce system if you have that. And it brings in data from third-party systems so that you can tell exactly what type of company, what size of company, what industry this visitor is most likely from, so that you can pre-qualify even that side. You know, between Savada and Intercom and the other tools that are out there in this space, gathering leads at scale 
while using social to drive people to your website is actually a really smart tactic. And uh, those are the two tools that I've got for, uh, for everyone today. I think they're pretty smart. Well, thank you, Stuart. I can't wait to dig into them and see how I can potentially put them to use for myself. And I hope listeners are going to make sure to do the same thing. Yeah, thanks so much, Michelle. And, of course, we'll make sure all the links and the link to the research uh, are in the show notes. Sounds good. Well, in our last episode, before our break this summer, we talked with Bob Sutton, the author of The Asshole Survivor Guide. We both talked about the significant changes happening in leadership for how people expect to be treated. Now, a big company that's been great at tapping into the new normal of leadership is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead and be more sincere to your customers? You know, today's consumer has changed that game of buying for business no matter what industry you sit, and it's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. This is exactly what growth acting CMO does with their clients when they're approached and asked, can you please help us grow our business and our revenues? Growth hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what's important to customers today and using analytics to see how they're making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey map saves you time, money, and headaches. It is your sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction over your competitors. So make sure you connect and talk to Growth Hacking CMO and check them out at growthhackingcmo.com to see how they can help you do that for this last quarter here in 2017. Now, before our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www thebreakthroughradio.com. Well, I have to say I'm really excited for us to be bringing back John Cooper. You know, he has been with us almost from the very beginning of Breakthrough Radio, and it has been such a pleasure to learn with him and to learn from him over these years about how we can improve our abilities to make sales. So you guys, please join me as we welcome back Don Cooper, the sales heretic. How are you doing today, Don? Good morning, Michelle. I am wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty good. A little jealous. I understand you guys are getting snow, and I'm over here wishing it would just be 90 degrees. <laughs> well, it was 70 yesterday, so we went from summer to winter literally overnight. <laughs> people in the fourth quarter is it's almost as if everybody continues to buy into all of the myths and all the assumptions about how you can't really do business around the holidays. And so I'm excited to all get out to be discussing that today because I want to see our listeners really grow and thrive before we hit 2018. I'm with you, Michelle, and that is really the single biggest issue is the belief that 
fourth quarter selling is really hard. That's the, the big myth that really keeps people from being as productive and successful with their sales as they could be in the fourth quarter. Too many people have this idea that, well, with the fourth quarter rolling around, everyone's too focused on Christmas and, and other holidays, and people are focused on their family, and so they're shutting everything down. And people use that as an excuse to kind of throw up their hands and say, well, okay, I, I, guess, I guess you're kind of done. And that's not the case at all. The reality is the fourth quarter can be just as good for selling as any other quarter. In fact, for some people, it can be even better. Just as a football team can score more points in the fourth quarter than any other quarter they scored in, or a baseball team can come back in the ninth inning, you and your sales can make a strong push here at the end of this year. Keep in mind that while this may be the fourth quarter for you, for other companies, for your prospects, this could be the second quarter or their fourth quarter, their, their first quarter, depending on when their year is. If they're on a fiscal year that starts in, over in the summer, this might be their second quarter. So don't assume that just because you're in the fourth quarter that everybody else is too. And keep in mind that, yes, while there are holidays going on, there are interruptions all throughout the year. People always have a reason to spend time with their family. People are always traveling. They're going on vacation. So it's really no harder right now to reach people than it is any other time of year. The real problem is how hard it is to reach people. It's amazing. We've got more <laughs> ways to reach people than ever before, right? And yet it's hard to actually reach people. So that's really the key is – doubling down your efforts to get a hold of people you need to get a hold of. If you can do that, you can reach them. If you can reach them, you can make the sale. Mm. You know, you bring up some really good points, and I'm glad you did that because, you know, people can say the same thing about summer. Well, everybody's going to go on vacation. I mean, you know, they can exactly. say the same thing about spring. Well, everybody's going to take spring break. And it's funny how we tend to fall into those behaviors by default instead of questioning them and learning to ask better questions. So I love how you brought our awareness around on that. So tell me, Don, what's the first thing that we need to do in order to be able to boost our year-end sales? The first thing you want to do is go back to your sales goals that you set at the beginning of the year along with the sales plan that you created for yourself or your company at the beginning of the year. Now, you did make a sales plan, right? You did list out your goals. You listed out how many sales you wanted to make, how many prospects you wanted to reach, and what sectors, and so on, right? That's a big reason why you do that is so that you can follow this plan over the course of the year and make adjustments as you need to. So are you ahead of goal? Are you behind goal? Where are you with reaching those prospects you wanted to reach? What's been working this year? What hasn't been working? Go back and analyze, based on that plan, how things have progressed over this year to see where you need to devote your time now in this fourth quarter. If you're on goal and just need to keep doing what you're doing, then just keep doing that. If you're ahead of goal, then figure out how you got ahead and keep doing more of those things and keep accelerating because you can keep that momentum going through the fourth quarter and finish on a really strong note. Maybe even make it a record year. And if you're behind, then look at what you can do to boost the fourth quarter. What didn't work? Where did you fall down? What did you ignore? So everything starts with your sales plan. And if you didn't create one at the beginning of this year, well, do that. Make a sales plan right now for this next fourth quarter 
And one of the items on that sales plan should be to make a sales plan for all of 2018 this December before the new year begins. So even a place to start. What you want to look at in this plan to determine where you are right now is to figure out, do you need more prospects or do you need to close the prospects you already have in your pipeline? Which of those two are more important for you to reach or exceed your sales goals for this fourth quarter? If you need more prospects, you need to begin a prospecting campaign. If you need to close prospects you already have in the pipeline, that's a different issue. So that's the first question is, do you need more prospects or do you need to close the prospects that you already have? So let's look at that second question first. You've got some great opportunities within your existing prospect pipeline, people that you have talked with or had some kind of contact with in the last year, possibly even in previous years. Take stock of all those prospects. Look at all the sales that never closed. Look at the deals that fell through that somebody, went somebody else and analyze them. Are these people still in the market? Are they back in the market? Did you just kind of forget them? Can you go back there and rekindle that relationship? If you need more prospects, then that's a different story. If you need more prospects, then you need to launch some kind of a prospecting effort here in the next 30 to 60 days to bring more people into your pipeline because you can't close the prospect you don't have. So how can you reach those people? Can you reach people through social media? Sure. As Stuart mentioned in the earlier segment, a lot of social media does not translate into leads. He also, however, noted that so much social media is company-focused as opposed to prospect-focused. If you make your social media activity focused on your prospects, you will get more interaction and thus more leads. And then what else can you do? Can you do an email? Can you, uh, an email campaign? Can you do some other kind of campaign? Can you work with a lead generating service? Can you buy some leads? There are lots of ways to put more leads into your pipeline. Go ahead and just do it. You don't necessarily do a lot, but do something. See how it works. An experiment. Try something different. What, do you have, what have you not done before? What could conceivably blow up this entire fourth quarter that you never tried before? So those are some different things you can do to bring more leads into your pipeline to finish this year strong. You know, you said something really critical there I'd like to back up and kind of maybe talk about for just a second, and that is to make your social media be more prospect-focused. Can you give us a, a, a real example of how someone uses social media and what it sounds like versus what a good piece of, you know, whether it's a tweet or something in Facebook or on LinkedIn looks like and sounds like it's more prospect-focused? That's a great question. And some ideas leap to mind immediately. I agree with Stuart when he said that too much social media by companies is focused on themselves, on their products and their services. It's all about them. The problem is as buyers, as individuals, we don't care about them. We don't care about their product. We care about us. That's what we care about. And too many companies just lose sight of that. So they're 
on social media talking about how great they are and how wonderful their people are and how terrific their products are, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I, my time on social media is limited. I don't have time to look at what these companies are doing. I'm focused on what my friends are doing. So to break through that, again, we're talking about communication here. If you're going to break through that communication and actually reach me, you've got to give me something I care about. I care about me. And a company that's really, really good at making their social media about their readers is HubSpot. It seems like every week HubSpot is coming out with some new report or some new tool or some new set of free tools or, or photographs or something that I can use. So whenever I see HubSpot in one of my feeds, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, I check that out because HubSpot gives away lots and lots of content. They give away stuff that I, as a marketer, can use. And for that reason, I like HubSpot. I know HubSpot. I think of them. I refer HubSpot. So. HubSpot has got me in their pipeline, and I get emails from them on a regular basis for the various products and services they sell. Get them because they give me great value. They give me stuff that I can use. So we have a relationship. I don't know anybody at HubSpot personally, but we have a relationship because they keep, they keep giving me stuff in the social media that I can use. So they give me value that makes me want to hear from them. You know, one of the things that I notice in the social media space is how many people don't use questions to engage with people. They instead tend to make proclamations or statements. Is that right. something that you've noticed has been more effective for you as well? Something that I preach is you don't engage people by telling them stuff. You engage people by asking them questions. And something that is a relatively new trend on Facebook over the last year or two is people posing questions to just see what answers come up. And those kinds of posts get massive responses because people like to answer questions. They like to put in their opinions, their two cents worth. And I see this happening both in personal posts and in business posts. So what kinds of questions can you ask your market that they would be interested in giving you their feedback on? Can you ask questions about their local sports teams? Can you ask questions about their lifestyle? Can you ask questions about their biggest fears or their biggest hopes or their biggest dreams? What kinds of questions can you ask them to engage them? Not necessarily questions that relate to your product or service. And let's be clear about that. Engagement is not necessarily all about you. Engagement is about them. So what kinds of questions would your prospects be likely to respond to? Start there. And as you bring them into your fold, then you can ask them questions that more closely relate to problems that your product or service solves or goals that they have that your products and services can help them achieve. You know, I'm really glad you brought that up because I do see that. I see people who ask questions because they're trying to make people talk about them, and I'm like, no, 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 you missed the whole point of using <laughs> questions. 
friend. <laughs> yeah, everything's all about me. Oh. All right, so I want to ask specifically around sales. What are some of the really quick, easy ways that we can increase our sales in this fourth quarter? You know, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling that maybe we're just forgetting some simple things we could put into action. Well, one of the simplest things is to go back to your prospect list from the year and look at who you've touched and see what deals haven't closed and go back to them and say, hi, how you doing? We talked three months ago or six months ago or nine months ago, and, uh, and, and we kind of fell out, and that, that's my fault. So I wanted to see what's going on with you and how can I help and see if you can restart those deals that lagged for some reason because a lot of those deals, pe- people may have been, been – Almost ready to buy, but just not quite because of something else. Maybe you were talking to them in their fourth quarter, and they were trying to get things ready for the end of the year, and they were under a massive amount of stress and work, and they just couldn't deal with you now. Well, a month or so later, now they've got time. So now they're open to talking with you. Or maybe they didn't have the money six months ago, but they had money now. There's lots of reasons why they didn't make a decision back then follow up with them, find out what those reasons were, see if their situations have changed. There may be a lot of business sitting there just waiting for you to call and ask them to buy. And that might be the issue itself. Maybe they were ready to buy, but you didn't ask them to. And it's something Come that on, I John. To Is people. it really that common? Yes. It's crazy. You're but kidding. People are so afraid. No, I'm not. I see it all the time. It happens to me constantly. Salespeople are so worried about coming across as pushy and sleazy and, and manipulative that they don't want to ask for the sale. They're afraid to close. And so the buyer might be sitting there saying, you know, they're, they're ready to go. But the salesperson never asked. The salesperson said, okay, well, call me if you have any questions. Or give me a shout whenever you're ready yeah, to go. Yeah, that's forward. not a cool level. No. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's say sure. someone's looked back over their prospects and they're looking at their emails or, or their call log or whatever, and all of a sudden they're having that smack-the-head moment going, oh, crap, I never really asked for the sale. Uh, Helplessers today maybe transition from they think they've asked for the sale because they ended it with, well, let me know if you have any questions, to what it really needs to sound like. Yeah, the sale's not over until you have asked for it, and they've either said yes or no. And even if they say no, it's not necessarily over. So you've got to ask for the sale. It's your job as a salesperson because the buyer's got lots of things on their mind, lots of things on their plate. They're juggling everything. Buying your product or service is not their number one priority. So they're thinking about their boss and their family and their customers and their everything else. Making the decision to buy your product or service is not – top of their mind. So you have to ask them. And keep in mind that it's always easier to do nothing than it is to do something. This is why people don't buy even when they're ready to, even when they want or need whatever it is you're selling. It's easier to just do nothing. That's that's your biggest competitor right there is, is the option to do nothing. Because that's easy, people will do that unless you make it easy for them to buy. You have to ask them. You've got to initiate that. That's what your job is as a salesperson. And whether you are an account manager or a CEO, you're a salesperson. 
So you have to ask. That's your job. It's what you're being paid for. When you ask, they either say yes or no. They say yes, okay, move forward, get paperwork done, get the check-in. If they say no, does that no mean not right this moment? Does that mean no, we've gone with somebody else? Does that mean go away, never, never call me again, I hate you? What does that no mean? Because no means different things. So no might mean, well, not this week, maybe next week. No might mean, no, we, we're done for this year, try me next year. No might mean, no, we've just signed a 10-year contract with somebody else. What does the no mean? Does the no give you an opportunity for a yes later? That's important to find out because that's what you want to do in order to close more sales is to keep asking until you get a yes or you get a definitive long-term permanent no. But even a permanent no could change to a yes because they might sign a 10-year contract and then get so upset at their vendor that in a year they're ready to change and break the contract. Those things happen. So the sale, not over really until you get a yes. So important. You're you're already making me think of areas where I could have asked different and, and continued questions to at least illuminate uh, where I was at and, and understanding where they were at as well. Well, you know, Don, I'm curious. Um, when we think about prospects sitting on the fence, what are some things that we can, you know, Maybe we've discovered no just doesn't mean right now, but are there are there other questions when we're in that phase that you've noticed people really forget to ask? And I don't mean like ten of them, but you know, probably the the most common two or three. The most common two or three questions people just forget to ask in the sales process. Um, like when the prospect. More so when the pros- when it feels like the prospect is like sitting on the fence, you know, you think you've you've asked good questions, but it just feels like they're not really making a choice. So, you know, it's like okay. you, you you try to drill down with them, but it 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 just keeps coming across as as neutral. Gotcha. If if you're jammed up like that, odds are you missed something earlier on in the needs analysis phase. When you were learning about your prospects, there were some critical pieces of information, possibly more than one piece, that you missed. Uh, and, and odds are it's more than one piece. So some of the questions that people forget to ask are things like, who else needs to be involved in this decision? Because if you miss one of the decision makers or one of the influencers, you're stalled. If that person's not on board, that sale may never happen but you may never hear the exact reason why. Another issue people often don't get is budget. Do they have the, the budget right now and is the budget allocated for this? So if you don't ask what the prospect's budget is, then you're not gonna know how far off you are if, if you're in the ballpark. If their budget is $10,000 and your product costs 100,000, you're not even close to making a sale there. But again, you might not know if you didn't ask them. So you're thinking, that they're not. They're done. Or they may have, the, you know, the budget might be in the ballpark, but they need to allocate it specifically. They, or they need to wait until the next fiscal year or the next fiscal quarter to have that money available to them to actually use. 
So that could be an issue. But often we don't ask what their budget cycles are. So we don't ask them if they have the money available. Another issue is we often don't ask about their problem enough. So we may not know how big their problem is to them, what their problem costing, or conversely, how much our solution would earn them or save them. So they're not motivated enough because the prospect doesn't see the danger of not taking action or they don't see the benefit of taking the action immediately. So there are costs involved in buying something. There are costs involved in making any kind of a switch. There are costs involved with changing behavior. All of that takes time, money, and effort for the profit. It may not be worth it to do them unless the problem they're solving is so big or the benefit they can achieve is so great that it makes it worthwhile. And if you don't do your due diligence to find out those issues, you may not be able to bring them to their attention so they might not be aware of them. So I would say those are the top you know, few questions. Who else is involved in the process? What's your budget and is it allocated? And how big is this problem? How big is this potential benefit to you? Something else surfaces I was listening to you share that information, and that is what about the prospect that acknowledges that it's a big problem, it's costing them a lot of money, or there's a big pain with it, but what their response is is they're too concerned that if the solution doesn't solve it well, they'll look bad. That is a huge problem because it's easier to keep going with a problem you already have than it is to create a whole new problem. Because the problem you're dealing with is not your fault. But if you choose a vendor and that creates a new problem, that's your fault. Always remember that all buying is personal and all buying is emotional. So if your prospect is scared, you need to find that out and you need to alleviate their fears. You need to help them understand how this solution is going to help them personally, not just organizationally. So if they're afraid of an outcome, you need to alleviate that fear. Understand that almost always, if somebody is not pulling the trigger because they're afraid of something, and that fear might be something better coming along, that fear might be your product not working, that fear might be your company not being able to provide the, the service to, to support the product. There's all kinds of fears that may be in play. You need to find out what those fears are, and then you need to be able to alleviate them. Okay, it sounds like we're getting really prepared for this fourth quarter in a way that I think a lot of times people may not have focused on. As we're wrapping up our time with you today, Don, is there something that we can take advantage of because it is the year in slash holidays for some of us? I get it. It's not, quote, fiscal year in for everybody, but it is the end of 2017. Sure. It is the end of the calendar year, and that presents all kinds of opportunities for contact with your buyers. So we've got Halloween coming up. So how about sending some candy to your prospect or sending a mask or something else that is simple and cheap 
but provides a way for you to communicate with them in a way that is fun, that is playful, that is is not, hey, buy something, but more, hey, thinking about you, how you doing? Yeah, Thanksgiving coming up, perfect time to thank your prospects and thank your clients. You may be able to boost your end of your sales by going back to your existing clients and see what else they need. Do they need more of what you sell? Do they need your newest or latest product? Do they need something else that you just created? What, what do your existing um, customers need? Or you want to get referrals from those customers. So you might say, hey, thank you for your business. You're awesome. We love you. By the way, do you know anybody else that could also use us? You've got Hanukkah and Christmas coming up, a great time to send people gifts, to send them messages, to thank them, and to put yourself in front of them in a very positive way. It's also a great opportunity with the end of the year coming to remind them the end of their year is coming. So what are their goals for their own fourth quarter? What do they want to get done before the end of the year? What are their priorities for, for the next year coming up? How can you help them get a head start on those things? So use the calendar to your advantage. How does the calendar help you create an incentive for your prospects to buy now rather than later? Do they get tax advantages by buying right now as opposed to buying next year? Can they get a jump start on their projects by buying now as opposed to next year? Can they avoid a price increase by buying now rather than next year? Figure out what are the prospect advantages in buying now as opposed to buying three or six months from now. Use those incentives to help generate momentum on their part to pull the trigger to buy now rather than later. Well, Don, out of curiosity, since you're a speaker and a sales trainer, what are the things that you make sure you do this fourth quarter, just from your perspective, that listeners might go, oh, geez, this might be a reason why I need to reach out to him now instead of later. I, I do the same things I just talked about. I go over my sales plan for the year, um, figure out where I am in, in relation to that, and I go back and look at my prospects. And I, think, I look, okay, well, what didn't close and why? Did they choose a different speaker? If so, when did they begin their planning for next year? So when can I get in touch with them? What can I do in the meantime so I keep in so I keep top of mind with them? Uh, do I need to add more prospects to my pipeline now? And if so, what's the best ways for me to do that? So I look at all these things and figure out what I can do in this fourth quarter because people are booking speakers year round, different organizations, different times all year round. So there are meetings that take place on Thanksgiving and on Christmas, and especially if you're in an international market, you've got very different holidays around the world. So there, people are always buying. You've got to be out there always working. You really don't get a, a, a vacation from this. I mean, yes, you should take vacations deliberately, periodically to recharge yourself, but there's never really a time which you can say, well, there's no point in trying to sell now. There's always a point in trying to sell now. It, what you do exactly may vary from day to day, week to week, month to month, but you always want to be thinking 
sales. You're always thinking, what can I do right now? What can I do today to boost my sales tomorrow, next week, next month, next quarter, next year? Well, I want to thank you for coming on and allowing us to have you as our featured guest because we don't get to do that very often, and you have (laughs) such a wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you, Michelle. It's my pleasure. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and shift into talking about our our startup spotlight, but um, maybe you can make a little snowball and freeze it and ship it to me. Yeah, I'm being silly. I know. (laughs) I think maybe I just need to fly to Denver and visit you. That's what I need to do. (laughs) That's what you need to do. Sounds good. I'm putting that down on the plan. (laughs) Take care, Don. You too, Michelle. All right. Before we shift into our startup spotlight, let me ask you, have you visited and participated in a startup grind yet? You know, I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city or country. You know, because startup grind is in 110 countries, over 300 cities, and you're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors there who are really excited about creating profitable businesses and, and really affecting positive change for the world. So find out what's happening in your city with the grind. I can tell you this month here in Houston, if you're here or if you're visiting, we're going to dive into how to identify and connect with global communities to build a sustainable business ecosystem. We're also going to learn about Bancor, an Israeli startup that gives you, no matter where you live and no matter who you want to collaborate with, the ability to exchange monetary resources with these. All right, well, it's time for us to shift over, and we're going to be talking with Destin Winham from Grit Grocery. We're going to learn how food sources are changing for the consumer, especially how they get them. So please join me as we welcome destined to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michelle. How are you doing? Well, I'm excited, but I, I am the silly gal who loves cold weather, which everyone always teased me about, you know, why do you live in Houston? So whenever I do get to talk to Don and it's the wintertime, I'm always pining to go visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good time to, to visit a cold place. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so, you know, one of the things that I thought was really fascinating when I had an opportunity to meet you was to be finding out that there are really great uh, opportunities for people to get healthy foods that are grown locally if they don't have the option of having a garden or growing their own. So please tell us, what is Great Grocery and how was it born? Yeah, so Great Grocery is is a a mobile grocery, Um, but maybe a better way to describe it is a farmer's market on wheels, Um, bringing the the local and unprocessed groceries into neighborhoods um, using food trucks as a storefront. But we still have consistent sales days and times, so it's not just delivery. Um, We're in your neighborhood, for example, uh, maybe on a Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday from 3 o'clock to 9 p.m. And you can walk down and and buy a la carte, individual items, 
uh, like you would at a grocery store, or you can get a meal bundle, uh, which is basically everything you need for a meal with a recipe. So the, 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 the real problem that we're addressing, Michelle, is that uh, eating healthy is hard, you know, uh, especially for Americans, because shopping and meal planning take time, and that's one thing that Americans don't have. Um, you know, time, time is, is a challenge for us. Uh, and the current infrastructure makes it very difficult. The way we grocery shop right now uh, makes it very difficult to do quickly and efficiently and and uh, to access uh, healthy food that, that we want. Well, I know one of the things that surfaced for me as I was learning about what you guys were doing is it reminded me of, like, when friends go and visit, you know, different countries, how everyone just goes to the farmer's market to get a lot of their foods. They don't necessarily go to typical grocery stores, which means they're getting a totally different kind uh, of food in the sense of with it being local, with it being healthier, with it being fresh. That's not something we tend to receive or even think about a lot here in the States. Was that That's a right. big piece of why you guys wanted to do this, or was there something that aligned to that that also helps the farmers um, that that made you guys think about how important it would be to neighborhoods? No, it's it's both. It's both for the community and for the for the individual. Uh, so I was in um, the Peace Corps in Azerbaijan, and it's a developing country, and. and their food infrastructure is local and unprocessed, and you buy from a um, from a neighborhood butcher, baker, neighborhood fruit stand that's a few blocks from you. And it turns out a lot of other countries have this type of infrastructure, not because it's cool or trendy, but because that's the way their 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 food infrastructure developed. In the U.S., we went towards this big box uh, centralized system, and what we found, I think, what we're finding is that that um, that works better with processed food, and and it's more de, uh, suited to uh, large shopping, you know, longer shopping experiences less frequently, right? But when you when you're eating healthy, when you're eating fresh, um, you know, perishable items, it's really better to shop smaller volumes more frequently. Otherwise, everything, you know, you buy something on Sunday, and by Wednesday, everything has gone bad. That that. Um, you know that's that's not processed. So I think that's that's what we're we're trying to provide that opportunity for Houstonians and then ultimately uh, Americans and other uh, cities across across the U.S. Is, is this opportunity to be able to shop in your in your neighborhood, um, smaller volumes more frequently. You know, have a conversation with someone there, maybe meet your neighbors, and then and then you know get to know the food that we're eating again. Where does it come from? How is it produced? What goes into it? Well, I'm curious to ask, Dustin, why do you think it's important for us to know where our food comes from and what's in it? I think because food is different, you know. It's uh, not like any, um, you know, in the startup world, there's a lot of products and services that are sold. But this is, uh, food is tied to um, our own health, right? It stays with us. Something we eat now is a part of us for a long time. It's tied to relationship building. It's tied to community, you know, and, and that piece of relationship building. It's tied to culture, culture associated with – when you talk about Houston, 
we talk about often about uh, the food um, that, that's here and, and the way we interact with food as Houstonians. So, so I think that's, that's why um, uh, food is different. That's why we're trying to do it a different way. You know, you bring up something really interesting about Houston, and that is we have a really diverse population here and a huge mix of cultures. When someone comes from a really different background and they're living here in Houston, one of the things they want to do is they want to be able to cook foods that, you know, help remind their family of of, of home or maybe what their origination was from home. But if you're eating local, can you do that? Uh, sure, yeah. I think when, when you're eating local, you can still incorporate, um, you know, something that, 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 is inspired by by another culture. Um, one of the benefits of what we're doing is this flexibility. With with each truck, it's going to serve a very small. You know that each store, each neighborhood, it's going to serve a very small. Um, you know community. Let's say maybe uh, ten block, twenty blocks, and within that that area of town, those people are going to look similar. They're going to have maybe similar interests. Uh, backgrounds and and so we can tailor the offering we could incorporate certain things uh, yes we'll have local but we can also incorporate certain certain food items that um, you know that are, they're going to be better suited for that community and uh, unlike a big store that, that's serving a 20 mile radius uh, we can really tailor um, the, the each store each neighborhood store to to that neighborhood and, and by getting feedback from them and bringing them into the process of choosing what we put on in that truck, I think we can uh, we can bring in some other um, you know other other products, other inspirations, you know, as far as our offering when it comes to spices and maybe some of the other things that aren't necessarily perishable, um, you know, spices and broths and the bundles and the recipes themselves. Well, I'm curious, what can listeners do? maybe help you they've listened to your story they say okay that grocery sounds really interesting what would be the next step that you would say here's how you can help us so that we can help you yeah so we're going through the startup process which means we we've proved the concept we've kind of built out one one truck one store and we've been running that in houston but now we're at a point where uh we're trying to to raise money we're seeking investment to get to the next um, phase, which would be 10 trucks. We're trying to get to 10 trucks that allow us to serve 20 neighborhoods. Uh, so, so right now we're live on an equity crowdfunding site, which is, is kind of a, a community investment tool where you can, you can actually uh, invest in great grocery, a small amount, um, you know, minimum investment is $250. And you actually get a stake in the company and you get to be a part of what we're trying to do. So, so, you can join the movement by, by investing or by, by following us um, on our social media accounts and, and, and engaging with us there. So the, the, the website is, is uh, wefunder.com and, and backslash grit.grocery will get you to our landing page. Got links there for you guys to make it easier if you didn't have a pen to write that down. So I've got a couple. I've got like three minutes, and I don't like wasting time on a live show, so I want to ask you another question, Dustin. What have you learned for yourself as a startup entrepreneur? 
looking for different ways to help fund what you're doing in grocery. How did you decide to choose this platform and this format? Because I think this might be a learning opportunity for additional entrepreneurs tuned in today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's been, you know, that's something that we've recently gone through this process of, of, of trying to, to find the best avenue to raise money. Um, so so we're, we're, we chose uh, this equity crowdfunding mainly because uh, we're a good fit because we're, we're B2, uh, B2C, right? So, so uh, usually B2C formats work better with, with, in crowdfunding. Um, and we're food. So food and beverage also have a lot of traction uh, because it's something that, again, is, is community-centric, uh, already kind of has a, a community element to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, what I've learned is that raising, starting a business is hard. Raising money for a business maybe is even harder. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it comes down to finding the right um, audience, uh, you know, that care about what you're doing. And um, so we, we've been talking to people in Houston and in, in Texas that, that care about this, care about food, care about this real food movement. Um, and, then, and then we're using this uh, equity crowdfunding platform, you know, as, as a means to, 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 to uh, get this message out to a larger audience. But I want to mention really quickly, I mean, the, the equity crowdfunding is exciting in itself. Um, in that it, it finally allows for you don't have to be a millionaire to have access to these, these high-growth startup investments. You know, I think it really is going to change the way um, startups raise money uh, because traditionally it was more, you know, kind of behind the scenes. You know, people in the know got access to it. Now it's very easy to, to, to plug in and, and, um, and invest in and support uh, startups that 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 you care about and that and that you think uh, are going to succeed. So, what would you say to entrepreneurs who have tuned in to Breakthrough Radio today, Dustin? And maybe they're afraid to pull the trigger on learning about the different ways that people could invest in what they're doing. They recognize that going the VC route's not for them. How would you how would you encourage them? Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, talk to as many people as possible, right? I mean, I think every time I talk to someone, um, asked, you know, kind of like tying back to your, your first segment, ask for help. I mean, you, you got to ask for help. Uh, that's a big part of starting a business is, is kind of diving off into things you, you've never done before uh, and figuring it out. And, and um, so tapping into the the local uh, entrepreneurship community. For example, in Houston, you have Station Houston. Uh, I'm, I'm a Rice MBA grad, so I'm tapping into that network. Um, you know, whatever institution communities that you're a part of, and and um, ask for help and try to try to just get to people that 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 care about um, you know kind of your um, you know the, the focus of your business. They care about that that message, uh, that solution, that problem that you're solving. Well, I want to thank you for coming on Breakthrough Radio today and sharing your story. I think too many times we forget to talk to startups and small business owners and entrepreneurs and try to learn about what's been a part of their journey, what's been some of their successes, what's been some of their failures because we learned. I think that's one of the things that makes 
Startup Grind a lot of fun is that we get an opportunity to really meet people one-on-one and learn about what's worked and what didn't work, and, and, and it helps us to learn how to ask better questions. So if we're able to encourage anyone who's tuned in today to ask those better questions and to reach out and support you at Grit Grocery or to reach out and learn how they can be an entrepreneur, then that's a big that's a big piece of why we're even in existence. So thank you for coming and sharing your story and allowing me to ask a couple more questions than I actually had down on the list. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, you know, because your feedback is important to me and the entire team here on Breakthrough Radio, our intention has been to bring you guests each week that expand your knowledge and inspire your actions to grow your business. And to accomplish that, it benefits us to hear what you like, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about, who you want us to bring on we haven't had on yet, who you want us to bring back that you really, really love. And we get it. You don't always want to tell us that with the hashtag BBS Radio and social media. That's why you can email us at thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Again, that's thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. And I want to thank you for visiting and checking out additional episodes on Breakthrough Radio at www.thebreakthroughradio.com. So make sure you do go and learn about what Stuart talked about. There's really great links in the show notes there today on how you can get better at scaling your leads. Go back and listen again to what Don said. He gave you the entire formula. If you have to take a notebook and write it down as he says it and then look at it, promise you, he gave you the formula to make your year in really successful in sales. And if you really care about healthy foods for you, your family, your employees, find a way to go support Grit Grocery and someone just like them if you are in Houston. I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for being so supportive of us the nine years we've been here on Breakthrough Radio. And I want to thank you about caring, about going out and making a difference because that's what makes all of us here on the Breakthrough Radio team excited when we hear about your successes. This is Michelle Price here with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with your business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. Talk with you next Monday.